covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us. The final podcast before the regular season gets started. When we are doing this podcast next week, there's going to be a handful of games in the books that we'll be able to talk about. So this is the final before season edition, final spring training edition, final Cactus League edition, whatever in the world you want to call it. Uh, here we are. Next week when we're doing this, games will have been played that actually count. And uh, that's a really good thing to be able to say that baseball is right around the corner. Our featured guest this week on the podcast, J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter with the Journal Sentinel and JS Online. He is going to join us in just a few moments. Our standard housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review, that would be awesome. If you are not subscribed to the podcast and want to subscribe to it, we would certainly appreciate that. And also uh, the best way to uh, get in contact with me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. So to what, what do we make of spring? And I know as, as I record this on Sunday night, there are still a couple more spring training games to uh, get to. They'll play against the Rockies on Monday and the Royals on Tuesday. And then that's going to uh, wrap things up before they open up the regular season in Chicago against the Cubs coming up on Thursday afternoon. So what do we make of spring training numbers? It's a it's a conversation we have on an every year basis. And I think the conversation is even more unique this year because it's been a shortened spring training and it was not a standard off season. So I take from a negative standpoint, take Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff started on Sunday and uh, he has not performed the way in spring that he would like to have performed. He even admitted when speaking with the media after the game on Sunday that he wishes he had A couple, two, three more Cactus League starts before the beginning of the regular season. You don't have that. In his three Cactus League starts, he's given up six home runs in 11 and two-thirds innings to go along with 15 runs, 14 earned. The strikeout numbers have been pretty good, 12 strikeouts, but he has issued four walks. So what do we take away from that? When you're a pitcher working through things during Cactus League play, And he even talked about trying to get the feel for all of his pitches. You're not pitching the way you would pitch in a regular season game. In a regular season game, if there is a certain pitch that just is not working, you go away from it. In spring training, if there's a pitch that's not working, you keep working on it. So it is not, uh, it's an apples and oranges sort of thing. But the bottom line is he's given up a bunch of home runs. And I think for some that's a that's a little bit worrisome. And I just I'm not gonna give you any information here because you don't know how that how that translates. There's a chance that the regular season starts and vintage Brandon Woodruff is there and all is good. And then there's also a chance that the regular season starts and he's not totally locked in quite yet and his desire for a couple more Cactus League starts turns into struggles in, in in the early season for him in the regular season. Either of those things can happen. It's kind of the the nature of the beast when you're talking about uh, the start of the regular season in Major League Baseball. And I think things this year are just going to be a little bit more weird when it comes to uh, how things look early on in the season Again, just for all the things we've talked about, the shortened spring training, the offseason, that was a little bit different. From a positive standpoint, you know, someone like Keston Hira, 
has put together just a fantastic spring. So the question for him now is, is that a legit thing? Is that who he is? Is he back going once again? Or is this somewhat similar to the big numbers that he's been able to put up at AAA when he hasn't been in the big leagues and every other level that he's ever played at for that matter? And you just don't know. You just don't know. And that's it's it's part of the fun to start the season. Like it's going to be it is going to be enjoyable to watch this Keston Hira story and see whether or not he's going to continue to develop and continue to progress to be the guy that the Brewers have always believed that he can be and whether or not what he did in spring training this year is kind of part of that story and part of that progression. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be fun from an injury standpoint. The Brewers are in pretty good shape. Uh, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. The Luis Urias injury—that's the one pretty notable injury. He's going to not make it uh, for opening day. He's got that left quad issue. Uh, mid to late April is when he, in all likelihood, is going to um, is going to be able to return. That's not the worst thing in the world. They certainly have some players on the roster who can uh, fill in at third base while he's uh, not available. And then uh, if it's only going to be a couple, two, three weeks, a month or so before he is finally uh, in there, uh, you not not a huge deal. Uh, one other note, by the way, Adam McAlvey uh, had this. Justin Topa, uh, as he continues to uh, try to uh, make his way back, he is um, – it looks like somewhere – mid-season is when it's going to be for him. He spoke with the uh, media on Sunday. Uh, He ended up having a flexor tendon surgery this past September. He could have ended up getting another Tommy John surgery, which would have been horrible. He wouldn't be pitching in all likelihood this year if that would have happened. But uh, you probably will see Justin Topa at some point this season, but it's still going to be quite some time before he is able to be healthy enough to, uh, to perform. All right, so uh, let's get to it. This week's uh, featured conversation, it is with uh, J.R. Radcliffe. Of course, uh, you can read him in the Journal Sentinel, JS Online. He is the trending sports reporter. USA Today Sports Plus as well. I keep mentioning that with uh, these uh, JS guys that we're having on as uh, all the Journal Sentinel uh, coverage is uh, right there uh, with USA Today Sports Plus as well. JR, uh, appreciate you uh, coming on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. You know, I hadn't even thought about the USA Today. I mean, that's obviously our parents, sort of the the top of the food chain in our organization. But uh, yeah, hadn't hadn't quite thought of all all of that modifier there. So uh, so I'll take it. It sounds good to me. We had uh, we had Kurt Hoga on the podcast last week, and I, I said this story to him. So I am a Journal Sentinel subscriber. Yes, and, love to hear it. Love to hear it. And uh, most of the content for Wisconsin sports is shared across all the Wisconsin based uh, papers. However. The UWGB content would not end up in the Journal Sentinel. So the best thing that has happened was I wasn't going to get a subscription to the Green Bay Press Gazette just so I could read uh, Scott Vincy's UWGB coverage. The best thing that's happened is as a Journal Sentinel subscriber, you have access to USA Today Sports Plus. So this past year was the first year where I was able to consistently read Scott's coverage of UWGB because of USA Today Sports Plus. It's perfect. And, and Vincy's great because he doesn't write just about GB. He covers some uh, like auction oddities is kind of one of the niches that, that he that he covers. And it's it's always, always cool and interesting, but it wouldn't show up on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel site unless, uh, you know, unless, like you said, you had that uh, subscription. So, yeah, let me let me just plug it. JSonline.com slash deal. What a great time to uh, to get 
to get a subscription because the uh, the brewer season, as some of you may know, is you know starting. So uh, that uh, that gets you gets you Post Crescent, Green Bay Press Gazette, uh, a few other papers around the around the state. So uh, so yeah, do it. What's it like? Uh, this is a this is a new era. I mentioned had Kurt on last week. Tom Hodricourt retired. Um, one of the most re- respected, longtime beat writers in all of Major League Baseball, and he's not around anymore. Has it, does anything feel different yet from your guys' perspective? Uh, I mean, absolutely. There's way less complaining about the weather, for one thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's yeah, it, it is completely different. And Kurt, uh, you know, Kurt's been with, with our organization for a few years and uh, he followed in my footsteps on the prep sports beat. So I've worked really closely with him and I love the guy. I'm really, really pumped up for him. He's going to be awesome. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's younger. He's got a different, different take, I think, on, on Brewers fandom, Brewers baseball and Brewers, you know, the, the whole thing. The, the whole scene. So uh, I'm excited for him to, to dip his toe in the water, you know, and Todd moves over to kind of Todd Rosiak moves over into Tom's role. And uh, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him as well. He's been, he's been at the journal Sentinel forever. So yeah, it, it's, it is going to be different. You know, the, the old sage, Tom Hodricourt, the old uh, <laughs> self-described Prince of darkness, grumpy, uh, but, but uh, you know, still, still, still very endearing personality will no longer be around the press box. That is going to be tough, but uh, we will, uh, we will have to get used to that part of it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a new vibe and I'll still be doing my thing. So it's kind of the same for me personally, just sort of floating around between the various, uh, you know, sports properties in, in Wisconsin sports, but, uh, but I'll, I'll be able to, uh, to check out the Brewers a lot more than I have been in the past couple of years, at least because it's a lot easier to go to a game than it used yeah. to be in past years. So, so that's probably the bigger difference. Yeah, this feels normal. I don't know if I should say this because, I mean, look, at any moment, some new sub-variant is going to come across and all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden mask mandates are going to be uh, back and, and all that. But this this feels as normal as anything has felt in a long time in terms of getting ready for the season. Like I rarely think about any COVID implications when it comes to Brewers baseball. Maybe that's a bad job by me and maybe I'm naive, but it really does feel pretty normal going into the year. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, I, I guess. I, yeah, I guess we could keep the caveats in place, but uh, at some point, at some point, you, you know, for better or worse, you just gotta, you just gotta think of it in normal terms and and not uh, and not have to to be concerned. The nice thing, and I think Adam McCalvey mentioned this on Twitter this this week that all the announcers are going to be traveling again, which we haven't had fully for the past couple of years, and and that definitely adds to the to the people watching at home and listening at home. It's gonna be it's gonna be a better experience that way. I, I'm personally excited about that. You know, I think the press box will be a lot more relaxed. Being at a game will be a lot more relaxed. You know, people are a family of four is going to go to a game and not be thinking about social distancing and masking and, and, and you know, all the various precautions, uh, you know, having to sanitize their hands four times, five times an hour. You know, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So uh, you still I shouldn't say that you still got to think about it and worry about it. But it's it's going to be it's going to feel like baseball first, which uh, which will be very, very welcome. It was a quick spring training, and we don't know how that's going to so impact quick. things when uh, when the season gets underway because the the collective bargaining agreement was agreed upon, and they they opened up camps, and it's been just uh, you know a few weeks, and now they're going to begin the season. There's been some injuries, especially for pitchers here across Major League Baseball, and we'll see if if that's something that is a thing this year because of the short spring training. I always thought that maybe when there was the uh, on and off spring training with the COVID year, that maybe it was, uh, it could be traced back to that, but that that's, that's, that has nothing to do with COVID that has to do with the collective bargaining agreement. That's the only kind of weird thing going into this year. The fact that spring training was a little bit shorter than normal. Yeah, it's been weird. And I'd be curious your take on this because for me, maybe it's presumptuous, but I like to, I'd like to think I kind of have a sense of buzz and, and 
how big things are. I, because spring training has been so short, I don't know if I feel like going into this week, everybody's just gearing up for Brewers baseball. Maybe it's because the home opener is still another week away, but uh, it, it doesn't, I don't, you know, this Brewers team should win the central and it should win by kind of a lot. Like this is the first, first team I know of or can think of that is the unquestioned favorite to win the central. I, I tried going back. 2007 was a year they were thought to do pretty good things. 2008, of course, when they won the wild card, even though the Cubs were seen as the much better team. And that was, that was born out actually 2011, kind of had to share the spotlight with a couple other teams. You know, they're, they're, they were never seen as like the team to beat in the central. I don't know if you're going to be able to find too many people right now picking any other team besides the Brewers to win the central. So that's a, that's an unusual place. Milwaukee fans haven't had that for a while. I don't know if it's because the Bucks, you know, are, are reigning champions and coming down into their playoffs or everyone's still focused on the Packers, the draft coming up. That, that probably is true every year, uh, but I, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the the, the jazz that comes with, knowing that you've got the best team in the, in a division, you know, and, and expanded playoffs and whatnot. There's no way this team should miss the playoffs. So, uh, so I feel like uh, maybe, maybe I'm just, it's just personal. That it's just my, my vibe, not, uh, not quite getting ex- as excited or as prepared as, as, as I think I, I would be normally for a team that this caliber. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It doesn't feel like the season is four days away from starting and it should have already been started. That's the weird thing. They're starting the season late because of uh, the CBA and, and how long it took. So the season where it's not like, it's not like they're starting at normal time. We should feel like it's time for baseball and it's odd that they're starting on Thursday. I, maybe it's just something where it's such a start and stop nature for me personally, that once it goes, it goes. And then once it's over, it's just over. It's like my life looks completely different, whether it's the baseball season or not the baseball season. Uh, and I, maybe it's just, it just has to start and then it will feel that way for me. But no, I agree with you. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're less than a week away from the start of the season. And I can't put my finger on it. I don't know if it's because maybe we're just used to the, the standard off season, you know, and the winter meetings and just the normal schedule that goes along with it. And we didn't have it this year. I don't know if that helps lead up to you know us not feeling like, I, I don't know. I'm just, I have no clue. I, I'm just rambling on at this point because I don't know why it doesn't feel like it's a baseball season yet. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the same boat, but uh, once uh, maybe once a week of games goes by, we'll, we'll have a better feel of it. I mean, this team should obviously be sensational. They got, they got all pitching for days and, uh, and w- again, 12 teams in the postseason. I think it. I think at this point, you would if you know at the end of the year they don't go to the playoffs. You have to think something. Many many things went horribly wrong. Yeah, somebody asked me about this yesterday. I said, you know, as they are, they are the clear favorite to win the division, and if the if offensively from a run scoring perspective, they can just a t- take a step forward from what they did last year. That that takes them from being the clear favorite to win the division to being a legitimate World Series contender. I do still feel like the run scoring aspect of this team is a little bit of a question mark where you don't know what Keston here is going to do. You don't know what Andrew McCutcheon is going to do. You don't know what Christian Yelich is going to do specifically. If those three guys all come through in big ways, this all of a sudden is a top two, top three, top four team in all of major league baseball. If they don't, then I think they take the division as long as pitching does what it's supposed to do, but you do kind of get worried about their run scoring ability. Once you get into the postseason. That's the thing for sure. I, 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 I and I mean, I, I look at past teams under David Stearns and, and I also 
sort of keep reminding myself that that he doesn't really look at the team that opens camp as a, as a finished product. Usually You're, you've seen moves and the best example, of course, last year when they added Willie Adamas a month and a half into the season, you know, if they need that extra boost offensively, I know he's going to be active in, in trying to, to upgrade that. And he's a guy who has added key pieces, you know, even, even in 2020 when they got Daniel Vogelbach and they were so you know hard up for offense, they brought him in and he managed to, to give him at least a little bit of a spark. And certainly they make a lot of intriguing deadline deals. They did so in 2019, Drew Pomeranz, guys like that, Jordan Lyles, 2018, similar situation. So, uh, so, so yeah, like there, this doesn't have to be the final product. Obviously, if you're worried about this team, it comes on the offensive side of things. And, you know, it's so hard to evaluate anything involves involving spring training stats. But, you know, Keston Hira, maybe there was one time last year over over a similar stretch number of at-bats that he was this productive uh, in the regular season. But it's, it's, it's a whole lot better than the alternative, you know. And if you have a Keston Hira clicking at a level that is at least approximating what he was in 2019, uh, now your offense is a whole lot better already. That's a, that's a already a boost. You don't know where he's going to play. You don't know where the at bats are coming from. But if if that's something you can even remotely rely on, I mean, we came into spring training. I would I would set, would have said I'm surprised if Keston Hero makes this roster. Yeah. Well, now now he's going to make it, and he might be a major contributor. I have no idea. Uh, again, I don't know where he ends up playing. Maybe they end up platooning him with you know Rowdy and at first base. I, I think that might mitigate what Rowdy Telez can provide you. He's a guy who's traditionally been able to hit. You know, left-handers just fine, but but still, that's that's a possibility. You know, maybe they find spots for him in the outfield. There is that DH spot now uh, that that gives them another option, and and that would be a huge thing. And uh, unquestionably, if Christian Yelich is hitting well, if he's if he is a All-Star caliber player, forget. I know no no one no one expects him to be the MVP player that he was in 2018 and 2019. But if he's if he's approaching an All-Star caliber player, that's now you got two two pieces you did not have in 2021. And again, you are a Central Division champion in 2021 without those two guys clicking. So that's a, that's an improvement right there. And uh, and you have Telez for a full year. Signs are kind of good with him. Like maybe maybe he really is a guy who can you know be a very good Major League Baseball first baseman. That that looks like where we're headed with him. And uh, Rios, if he's healthy, had obviously a tremendous year last year. You'd like to think Willie Adamas can do sort of what he did last year, even though that I don't know that might be asking a lot, but. I can talk myself into the offense, I guess. <laughs> I can yeah. I can talk myself into thinking this team can can do enough on offense, and you know they can do enough on pitching. They could lose a couple pitchers, God forbid, but they could, and still have a very credible starting rotation. I, I don't I don't see a way the pitching struggles really at all. It would, it would take just total meltdown disaster. The offense I can talk myself into, and if if I if it doesn't work out that way, David Stearns will fix it. You know, he'll add somebody. I'm not a I'm not a big sports gambling guy, but I, sometimes I think you can take some of the data that's out there and it's interesting. Christian Yelich has top 12 odds to be the National League MVP this year. So it feels like from an outside perspective, there's a lot of belief that he is going to find that all-star form once again. I think I saw he was way down on that list of top 100 players at MLB. Is it MLB.com or the MLB Network produces? He was like, he was like 99 or 100, uh, which, which felt a little humbling knowing where he came from. I, I think I think it's probably somewhere in between. I don't. I wouldn't say he's one of the ten most likely MVP candidates in the National League based on what we saw in 2021 and 2020. But I also, I also think he's capable of being a top 50 player at, yeah. at minimum, right? So, um, so, so hopefully it is somewhere in between, or, or you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he bounces all the way back and and is pushing uh, is at least the Brewers' best player, which uh, I, 
did a, a podcast episode of, of our Journal Sentinel podcast that will be showing up Monday morning. And, and Todd Rosiak thought that was kind of his fearless prediction that Christian Yelich would be the best player on offense, which I think is, you know, it's 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 going out on a little bit of a limb at this point. So that would that would obviously be a be a great thing. Uh, I'm glad Christian Yelich still gets the respect of the odds makers from, uh, you know, we're, we're going on three seasons ago to 2019 where, where he's at that caliber. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there are a lot of people out there who really believe that the injury he suffered at the end of the 2019 season was lingering what physically or emotionally, you know, mentally, whatever. And, and that at some point that's going to get weeded out. And, and some point you can maybe say he's finally healthy, you know, fully healthy with, with the back issues that he was dealing with. I do think that's the case with Keston here. You know, you, Kurt Ho probably talked about this, that Keston's Keston's elbow was pretty bad last year and, and maybe worse than anyone realized. And in that case, maybe, maybe Keston here is ready to truly, you know, have a bounce back season two. And, and again, add those two bats into the offense. And suddenly we're, we're talking about a real, a very real threat. They, we hear the word redundancy a lot when David Stearns is talking about the way the roster is being put together. And we've just mentioned a bunch of guys that are key. If, if Yelich does not put together the kind of season that you want him to put together, but Andrew McCutcheon is playing really well, then you can give McCutcheon some starts in left field and you can put Keston here as the DH. And you've got all these different things that you can do with the lineup and having the DH there creates opportunities for you to go with whatever the hot bat is at, at any given moment. So just in many ways, it feels like a lot of these things are just going to kind of work themselves out. This goes back to 2018 when he brought in Mike Moustakis and they already had Travis Shaw and, you know, guys playing second base all of a sudden that, that would never be over there. Like they, they, they figure it out, you know, they work it out. You can't have too many, too many options. And, um, I mean, maybe maybe Colton Wong doesn't have uh, the the year that he was able to have last year, and Keston Hero winds up getting some shot at second base again. I mean, I don't think that's I don't think that's Plan A in anybody's anybody's book, but you never really know. You know, maybe Willie Adamas struggles and, and reverts back a little bit to who, the player he was in Tampa, and uh, and Luis Arias has to get some get some time at shortstop, and now third base is an opening for uh, for somebody else. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we see more of Jace Peterson than we expect. Uh, I, I don't know. There's a uh, you know, and people people say this. This is not a novel concept. It always seems to work out. They always seem to find room for the productive players in in the starting lineup somewhere. And the designated hitter gives them one more, you know, one more piece to work with. So, um, so yeah, I uh, I, I I do. I'd be curious. I'm curious to know what McCutcheon provides this team. Such an interesting season last year where he just pounded left-handed bat left-handed pitchers. And, uh, you know, certainly over his career, he's, he's, he's not limited to just that. So, uh, you know, as he's getting to the final final stages of his career, I'm fascinated to know what he's what he's going to bring to them. I think it's a little bit surprising that they bring in somebody and just say flat out, we expect him to be the DH. You know, that's kind of your trump card in, in getting guys like Hira, Yelich, a lot of the guys we mentioned, some some extra at bats. So uh, so the fact that they brought somebody in to specifically absorb those kind of surprises me. I'm really curious to see how much outfield we, we see out of Andrew McCutcheon and how productive he can be. Yeah, that it's it was an interesting signing. The, the fact that he has put historically put up good numbers at American Family Field. I think I think there's an opportunity for him to have better numbers this year than he had last year. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, you know, spring training he seems to be seems to be just fine so far. I mean, he's. Yeah, I know he had the the two homer games. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, th- this is this is a fine park to hit in. And Hunter Renfro, same thing. You know, that's a now. I I think Boston's probably a good park to hit in too. If you've got, you know, got a giant wall like twenty feet from home plate, that's uh, that's a nice situation. But but 
hitters hitter you know i think american family field essentially rates as a, as a neutral park at this point it's not as hitter friendly as i think it maybe was in the beginning but hitters love it there so yeah. for whatever reason you know obviously willie adamas is kind of the classic case of somebody supposedly didn't hit well at, at tropicana field comes to american family field and suddenly can see the ball so much better like th there are cases of that out there and uh, and yeah maybe maybe it just works out for for the new right-handed hitters in the lineup and they they've discovered that you know they can match just like Willie Adams did last year. Corbin Burns looked really good in his final uh, tune-up. I think they're. I, I'm. We're recording this as Brandon Woodruff is pitching. I believe I got to double check that and see. But just from a pitching perspective, uh, and, and not taking anything away from anybody else that's going to be in the rotation, and this rotation is so uh, incredibly deep. But you look at Burns, you look at Woodruff, and uh, those are the two guys that. For everything that we're saying about this is the clear team to take the division, part of that is based upon the idea of those two guys being the guys that we expect them to be. And as we're recording this, Brandon Woodruff has thrown two innings, giving up a home run, and that's it. That's the only hit he's given up. But it just it feels like so much is dependent upon those two guys doing what what they're expected to do. Yeah, Corbin Burns, what an artist. I mean, his spring training pitching ninja is already out in full force for that guy. Uh, safe to say that he he looks the part of, of a reigning Cy Young champion. I know I know he gave up a couple runs in his first start, but he's he's looking awesome. So uh, so that's obviously very comforting. Brandon Woodruff's given up a few home runs now in spring. So if if we're gonna play with the samples and and care about what they're telling us, I guess it, it's going to bear watching how he performs in his first start of the season. If he if he is a little bit shaky, uh, I've always I mean I'm a massive Brandon Woodruff fan and believer, and I I I, I would throw out the possibility that he could even get more Cy Young votes than, than, than Corbin Burns this season, uh, just because he's, he, I just think he's that good. Not, not because I think Corbin Burns is going to take a massive step back or anything, just because I think Brandon Woodruff is, is a pretty special player. So, um, so yeah, the, obviously, like you said, those two guys are, are one and two and both got Cy Young votes last year. So they're, they're, they're in the mix of the best pitchers in the national league. But like I said earlier, I think what sets this team apart is you could lose one of those guys. Or, and again, God forbid, one of them is ineffective or injured or something like that. And the depth behind them is just so good. Like Freddie Peralta, Freddie Peralta's got Cy Young stuff. That guy could absolutely win a Cy Young award at some point in his career. And it could be this year. Like you can't even rule that out. That's how that's how good and exciting his stuff is. And then Eric Lauer had such a good year last year. You'd like to see you know, how he's going to build on it. Adrian Hauser is is steady as they come. And if Adrian Hauser is your like fourth or fifth best option, uh, you're living, you're living right. And then we have yet to see what Aaron Ashby is going to bring to the table. So instead of that lefty veteran, Brett Anderson that they had as kind of just, uh, I don't want to say rotation filler. I think he's probably a little better than that. Brett Anderson was, but, but now they got a guy who's, you know, your sixth option is super exciting and you have no idea where the ceiling is on that guy. Uh, and, and that's, that's your number six guy. Like it's, it's wild. And there's still a couple other guys, you know, you could say Brent Suter, if, if you, if you, you know, have him, I don't think he's going to plan to go back and start, but that could, that could be a possibility too. If some things fall through, you got a couple guys, Ethan small comes to mind in the minor leagues that you could bring up for a start or two. I'm sure as, as good as their depth is, they're always going to be in need of another starter at points throughout the season. So, uh, so I guess you can't say anything is certain, but the, the depth, man, the depth of that starting pitching is just absurd. It, it's, in, it's incredible that they've got three, three legitimate, like three legitimate Cy Young candidates, and then three other guys that are at the, at the very least intriguing at the very least they're intriguing. That's pretty cool. Just to get you out of here. You look around the division pirates are the pirates. They're horrible. They're always rebuilding. Uh, the reds have sold off so many parts this year. Although they, you look at the reds roster, they still have some guys, 
the Cubs have certainly lost more than they added. To me, it feels like the Cubs are probably a half step in front of the Reds, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Cardinals are a good team. Uh, their, their pitching, I think, is a little bit suspect. If Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy from a hitting perspective, they're a good hitting club. But it, it still feels like there is a there is a gap between the Brewers and the Cardinals, and those are always worrisome. I know a lot of Brewers fans don't want to hear that said out loud, uh, but it just maybe the Cardinals are the team that can make a run at the Brewers, but it really doesn't feel like there's a lot in this division right now. Completely agree with you. Massive gap, I think, between the Brewers and Cardinals uh, on paper. You know, like uh, as we're recording this, the Lakers are playing on my TV. I never thought the Lakers were going to be really good this year, and and they're laughably not very good. So uh, nothing nothing is cemented in stone. But uh, I'll give an example that I know people don't care about fantasy sports. I myself don't care about fantasy sports. But in my fantasy league, Stephen Matz, the Cardinals sort of big free agent acquisition, big free agent pitcher acquisition, just got drafted in one of the last rounds. And that's after all six guys that we were just talking about with the Brewers had been drafted. So that kind of tells you where they're at. You don't know if Jack Flaherty is going to be healthy. Adam Wainwright, all props to him. We can we doubt him, and every year he comes back and he's effective and he's annoying and, and just just tremendous tremendous pitcher. Congratulations to Adam Wainwright. So like, they, they, but 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 they are relying on some really old guys. You know, Yadier Molina is still in the lineup, and their lineup is good and has young talent too. I just I just don't look at that lineup and think, wow, outside of Nolan Arenado. And Goldschmidt, who always hits well against the Brewers, but he's he's not maybe the titan that uh, that he is against. Uh, he is not maybe that great against other teams as he is against Milwaukee. It seems like um, that lineup just doesn't scare me. Certainly, I don't think the Brewers lineup is is dramatically less talented. And we we've been talking about how that's their you know that might be their 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 weak point. So on paper, the Brewers are much better than the Cardinals. They just are on paper. That is the case. 162 games later, we may be singing a completely different tune. No way of knowing who gets hurt, how things shift. Uh, the Cardinals have a specter around them where they just always seem to be competitive or good. I mean, they have never had a season like the Pirates or Reds when they're down typically have. It feels like it feels like the Cardinals just do not have throwaway seasons ever. So I would, you know, you can never, you can't count them out ever. But, but yeah, like I said at the beginning here, on paper, this is the first time I can remember where the Brewers are just unquestionably the team to beat. In their division, they should absolutely be playoff bound. He is J.R. Radcliffe. Follow him on Twitter at J-R-R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. Read him at JS Online, Journal Sentinel. uh, Does just... He finds stuff and remembers stuff that I don't know how he does it, and it's fun, and I probably learn more uh, being... I am not a Wisconsin native. I've been here a while now, but being a non-native, I can say Jr. might be the guy that I learn more about the history of Wisconsin sports because of some of the stuff he uh, digs up, and it's a lot of fun. Jr., thank you so much for your time and doing this. Look forward to doing it again real soon. Absolutely, man. Anytime. We'll talk again soon. That's Jr. Radcliffe joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that's just about going to do it for uh This week's edition of the program, Brewers have two more Cactus League games to go. They'll play a night game against the Rockies on Monday and then an afternoon game against the Royals on Tuesday, and that will be it. They will then head north on Wednesday, and the season will begin on Thursday. They will open up the year in Chicago against the Cubs, a 121st pitch against the Cubs coming up on uh, Thursday. Uh, You can hear all the action on WTMJ. Just a uh, programming note for you, for those of you who listen to uh, Brewers Extra Innings, our postgame show. 
Uh, we will, uh, as has always been the case, we do not do shows after the weekday day games. So our first edition of Brewers Extra Innings will be coming your way on Saturday as Thursday and Friday are both afternoon games against Chicago. But we will have a, a post-game show on uh, Saturday and Sunday and uh, moving forward from there. And then a week later, a week from Thursday, the 14th, is when uh, the Brewers will have their home opener and they will do that against the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, that's it for uh, this edition. Uh, Look forward to talking to you next week and being able to talk about games that have been played that actually matter in the standings. It's going to be an exciting year. You'd think it would be an exciting year and certainly going to be fun to talk about it with you all year long. Thanks again to J.R. Radcliffe for uh, joining us. Thanks to you for being tuned in, and we will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Externings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.